Hello, my name is David O'Kelly. You're very welcome to KPMG's Capital Ideas podcast, the podcast where we talk to investors in Irish business. Today, I'm joined by Peter Garvey, a founder of Melier Equity Partners. Melier aims to invest between 10 and 30 million in Irish businesses. Peter, you're very welcome to the podcast. Can you tell me about the types of deals your funds want to do? Hi, David, and it's nice to be here. So Melier focuses on growth capital investments in Ireland. We tend to partner with founder owners or management teams who want to bring in an institutional investor to help them accelerate the growth of their businesses. Uh, as you said, we invest uh, in between 10 and 30 million. Uh, we tend to invest in profitable companies. So generally they're making anywhere from 2 million and, and, and upwards. Uh, we invest across sectors. And uh, the common theme I'd say, David, is that there is this management team that want a partner, they want help plus capital to help them grow. And that, that term partnership and, and, and the founders and management, they could be two different people. Do the, do the founders usually stay involved or do they take their money and go? In the vast majority of deals that we do, David, the founders do stay involved. Uh, what you find is a founder may have grown their business from nothing over 10, 15, 20 years. Uh, and they've reached a stage where they'd like maybe to de-risk themselves a little bit, uh, take some money off the table, but still see a significant growth opportunity within the business. Uh, so what they like to do is to take some money out, but also then reinvest alongside us. And that's important for us because oftentimes founders own customer relationships, employee relationships, uh, regulatory relationships, whatever it may be. So that founder, that founder access is actually very important for us. What we do do with founders then is discuss what their growth, their ambitions are. Uh, oftentimes, a founder will say to us, "You know what? I'm happy to roll proceeds, but by the time you exit in five or six years' time, I'd like to exit with you." So we work closely with a founder to manage a succession plan over the period of our investment. And do they do they tend to be a, a small minority? Are you the biggest shareholder afterwards? And you know, kind of who's calling the shots? Who's running the, the deal? There's afterwards? absolutely no fixed rule. Uh, what I would say is that we are active investors, but we're not managers. So we back great teams to continue to run their businesses, um, and we support them to do that. And tell me about management in those deals. Like, how do they how do they get cut in? How, how does it become meaningful for them? So in every deal we do, David, we create what's called a management incentive plan. Um, private equity is all about alignment. Um, in every deal that we make as Melier, our team invests in those deals. Uh, so we like to create that alignment of incentives across the whole piece. So the management team will be part of that management incentive plan. They'll invest alongside us and the founder in the investment. So they'll benefit from any value creation within the, within the company. And a lot of, a lot of management I talk to, they, you know, they worry about having to say, get a second mortgage on their house or personal guarantees. You know, what sort of size is that investment? Is it, is it a huge amount of money or how, how do you structure that? It's a great question. What we want to do is to make sure that the right people can invest alongside us. So what we do is we make the, the management incentive plan affordable and structure the investment in a way where we can get that wide participation that we believe really creates value. So anyone in the company that has a material uh, ability to add value to, to the investment, we want to have invested alongside us. So we do make it affordable. Yeah. Okay. No, good. And so Melier is, I guess, the 
the, the second fund you've run in the in the Irish marketplace. What what are what are you and, and your and your business partner Johnny Cosgrave? What are you trying to achieve with 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 Melier? Yeah, so as you mentioned, Johnny Cosgrave and I uh, started Melier in January of 2020, and we had been investing um, an Irish-focused private equity fund for a large U.S. private equity firm called the Carlyle Group for the previous six or seven years. And in that time, we'd made 11 Irish investments in the likes of the AA Ireland, Payzone, Carol's Meats, the City Bin. Um, and we'd made quite a good fist of it. It was quite a, quite a, quite a good fund. And um, Johnny and I saw the continued opportunity to invest in Irish SMEs and help them grow. So we were fortunate enough to have a set of investors from the first fund, uh, including the Carlyle Group and the likes of the ISIF, uh, who wanted to support us to, 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 to continue on and execute that strategy. So we went ahead and we raised $160 million from some Fund 1 investors, but also some uh, blue-chip new investors. And actually, uh, more than half the money comes from international investors. And really, what we're trying to do is the, is the same again, to find great partners, uh, great Irish businesses that have ambitious teams that want to grow. And I saw on your on your website you have a number of senior advisors, some of whom I know I know very well. What what's their role? Did they get involved in the investment or in running the company? What what do they do for you in the company? So so David, what we're trying to do is 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 make sure that we can differentiate ourselves versus other pools of capital out there. Uh, so in Melier, what we think differentiates us differentiates us versus others is a is a few things. So one is we're local. Our team are all based in Dublin. Uh, they're a highly experienced team with a great track record. So we believe that we have the best local team in the market. The second thing we've done is we have put a pool of senior advisors around us. So we've got seven individuals who run some of Ireland's biggest and best companies. And the idea there is that when we invest in a company that we can bring really great sector insight to bear on our portfolio companies. So the idea is that these people will help us with our due diligence, but then once we make investments, go on the board of the portfolio companies or even help on an ad hoc basis to add value to those companies. The third thing that we do, uh, and we think differentiates us versus competition, is our international access. Uh, Johnny and I and our team have all worked in the international um, community for decades. Uh, we also have a unique uh, access and, and, and partnership with Carlyle that persists in this fund. Carlyle, as I mentioned, our investors in, 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 in our fund, as are the founders of Carlisle. So any company in Ireland that wants to expand overseas that would benefit from an international network, we bring that to bear as well. So it's a combination of local, really great sector expertise on the ground and an international angle that we can bring to portfolio companies. And the, 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 the listeners to our podcast here, they're going to be very interested in kind of the, the, the numbers and types of deals that, that you've done. So in this fund, how many deals do you expect you'll do? So the fund, as I mentioned, David, is 160 million euros. Mm-hmm. Uh, we expect to do somewhere between 10 and 12 investments. So okay. as I mentioned, investment size range 10 to 30 million. Um, and again, you know, we're not fixated on a number. Somewhere around 10 to 12 would, would, would be just fine. We did 11 in the last fund. Yeah. And three deals done so far? Three deals done so far, so we're off to a good start. We made our first investment back in last August uh, in a niche insurance broker called BHP. Mm-hmm. Uh, it's a really strong business. I have some good exper- experience from uh, chairing our investment in the AA Ireland uh, in the first fund, which was a successful deal for us. Uh, so I like the space a lot. Um, there's been a lot of activity in the space, as you know. 
but BHP, as I said, it's a niche player run by a fantastic lady called Martina Westfall. Uh, we've made some really good strides in that business over the last year. We did an acquisition straight out of the gate of a business called KMW, and we're in the market for more acquisitions. And go, going well, touch wood so far. The second investment that we made was a, a quite a different business, a, a software business, a business called Salmon Software, which is a, a, a offering software to the treasury management space. Uh, another founder-owner investment, um, mm-hmm. where we partnered with a guy called John Byrne, uh, who again um, wanted to bring in an institutional partner to help him turbocharge the growth of his business, and Johnny led that investment for us. And then the third investment so the, in that on Salmon, the founder will stay. John will continue to drive the, the, the business. The founder is absolutely, absolutely along for the for the for the journey with us. Right. Okay. Um, good. And then the third investment is a business called Rose Confectionery, which we completed there just at the at the beginning of July, uh, partnering with uh, a gentleman called Richard Kennedy and his team. Um, it's a more traditional business. Um, it uh, provides confectionery and freeze pops and uh, snacks and nuts uh, to both Ireland and the UK market. So each of those businesses clearly, you know, leaders in their space. They know what they're doing. Uh, very accomplished companies. Otherwise, you wouldn't have invested. In terms of what you're going to bring to the table, is it is it an ability to to expand by M and A and identify those opportunities and build out the strategy? You know, Tell me about the maybe the, the investment process in the first hundred days with these companies. Yeah, it's a, again, it, it, it's a question we often get asked, and and, and just to just to say and 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 reinforce the fact that we're not managers, mm. we're active board members, yeah. and it's important to say that because a lot of of companies that we meet uh, aren't familiar with private equity, and it's a relatively new concept in Ireland, and a lot of what we're doing is just explaining how it works. So. So re- really what we're doing is we're trying to create the conditions for growth within a business. And we do that in two ways. I've already talked about alignment. We think alignment is absolutely key. So during our diligence process, we create a plan with management that we all stand behind. And we say in five years, we'd like to go from X to Y. Mm-hmm. Um, obviously along the way, there'll be bumps and there'll be changes and we'll have to pivot, but we all align behind the one plan. The second thing that we do is we try and create confidence. Um, you often find that founder owners or management teams with a different shareholder structure run their businesses in quite uh, a risk-averse way. And decisions which we would think would be relatively obvious to to, to some founder owners would feel like a risk too far for them. I've seen that a lot, where the family's wealth is tied up in the business. Every decision becomes a big decision. Absolutely. And we, we used to be concerned, David, that when we allowed a founder owner to take some cash off the table that they may become distracted and not focus on the business. And in mm-hmm. fact, what we've seen over the last seven or eight years that is that once a founder owner de-risks themselves, pays off the mortgage, puts some money in the bank, they actually come to work on the Monday morning and it's, let's go, mm-hmm. what will we do now? Yeah. And, and the ambition level really spikes up. And our job is to help create that, that confidence to make investments around people, around production, maybe do some M and A if the, if 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 that's uh, you know where where we can create most value. The other thing that we're trying to do, David, as well, is to try and help teams prioritize. We find in relatively small business and medium-sized businesses that we invest in that you have relatively shallow management bandwidth. You don't have a hundred people managing the business. You've got less than ten in the main. So you have to help prioritize. And what we're trying to do is find the three or four real key drivers of growth that can make the most difference. 
Yeah, it's, it's interesting. I, I often see with uh, privately owned businesses that uh, sometimes they that they've struggled to attract additional people to the management team over investment periods. Do you, does the management team tend to expand? Do more people come on board? Yes, often, oftentimes in diligence, David, the founder or the CEO will say to us, you know what, I've identified a gap. I don't have a finance function. I outsource my finance function. I don't have a sales team. I'd like an international sales team. Uh, I'd like some really strong people brought onto my board. And our job is to help them attract, uh, find and identify the right people for, for the team. And that, that's crucially important because, again, as I say, we're not managers. The management team have to deliver the plan so what we're trying to do is to reinforce the team. And then as we grow, you know, if a business has grown to double and triple the size that it was when we invested, clearly it's going to need more management. Uh, and in a lot of the businesses that we've invested in, you'll see a management team that's grown from three or four people at the outset to, you know, a dozen people by the time we, we, we exit. Yeah. And you're, you're obviously your you're investor is a, you know, five, give or take, five-year investment horizon. It might be longer, it might be shorter. Uh, what are the what are the northern lights that you have through that investment period that you're that you're looking to see that the business what attributes are you looking the business to have by the time you get to the end of the five years? Yeah, so so, so generally the business that we invest in are not perfect, uh, and no business is ever perfect, and even when we exit, they're not perfect. So there, there's there's a number of things that we're trying to do. First of all, we're trying to make sure that the businesses grow, uh, and what we want to show is by the time we exit that the business has you know, doubled or even tripled in turnover in that, in that time period. The other thing that we're trying to do is to help the business work on becoming best in class. Uh, and what we do based on 25 years experience is where we know what good looks like. Mm. Uh, and if we don't know what good looks like, we'll find out. And we work with the business to say, you know what, you're getting your supplies from X country at X price. That appears, you know, the wrong thing to do and would you ever consider doing this uh, or you know what you're selling most of your, your goods to a half a dozen customers over time we need to diversify that because that that effectively brings risks onto the business or you know what um, your team aren't incentivized properly and you need to change your pay and benefits plan to actually make sure that people are incentivized to 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 follow the right behaviors so we do a lot of stuff around the, the growth of the business, the operations of the business, the people side and management of the business. Because when we show up trying to exit something in five or six years, the next buyer is going to go through the same diligence process that we went through. Mm-hmm. And they're going to find the same things. Today and the onus is upon us, yep. the onus is on post, uh, 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 upon us, David, to, to make sure we fixed all those things by the time we, we get through our five-year investment cycle. And do you tend to use a lot of debt through that period? The level of debt we use re- really varies. As a growth capital investor, it's not a huge part of what we do. Uh, the, the larger private equity funds around the world who are doing big leverage buyouts, a lot of it is around uh, you know, financial engineering and, and putting a lot of, of, of debt in the capital structure. For us, we, re- we use relatively little debt. In some instances, we use no debt. Yeah. Uh, and it really depends on, I'd say, the maturity of the business, the growth profile of the business and the cash characteristics of the business. And we'll find the right debt, debt structure to, to facilitate that business. Yeah, and what, uh, glad you mentioned the large private equity funds. Like when, when you hear these you know, multi-billion deals, you talk about, you, you, know, you hear kind of very large cost-cutting initiatives and so on. Does that form part of what you do? Does it tend to be a 
you know, uh, trimming the fat and, you know, kind of maximising profitability over a short period of time? Yeah, David, I'd, I'd argue today that even the large private equity funds, that, that financial engineering that was, you know, the, 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 the real source of value creation 30 years ago mm. is no longer what private equity is about. So whether it's a large deal or a small deal today, I think any manager who invests needs to make the company a better company over the life cycle of their investment. So I would argue even at the upper end where people are deploying large amounts of leverage, they're still working very hard to grow the top line of the business and to grow the profitability and the cash flows of the business. In our particular instance, no, we're a growth capital investor. Uh, For us, we're not a turnaround investor. We're looking at businesses where we see, as I said, three to four levers of growth that can fundamentally accelerate the growth of the business over our ownership period. One of the one of the questions we frequently get asked by owners and management teams when we say, "Look, you should really be talking to to private equity, and, and it should it's a it's a valid and exciting option for a business." It's just like, well, how can they pay as much as a trade buyer? Uh, do you have views on that? Yeah, and I think David, as you know, having been doing this for a long time, every owner of a business has different ambitions from a particular transaction. Hmm. I would say if an owner just wants the highest price and wants all their money today and they just want to be gone, uh, private equity probably not the right option for them. Um, what we want to do is we want to, found, we want to partner with founder owners and management teams who maybe want to take some cash out. And as, as I said, we're absolutely fine with that, but fundamentally believe in the growth of their business. And what we offer is effectively two bites at the apple. You can make some money today, you can put that in the bank, but let's go ahead and double the triple size of the business and let's make four or five times our money on the next deal. And for a founder owner, that can be really compelling. Um, a lot of people are working a lot longer these days than they were before. Mm-hmm. And, and someone in their 50s and even 60s often don't want to walk off into the sunset. They want to work with the business that they, they, they've grown from nothing. And they actually like the reassurance of having a partner sitting beside them and are quite excited about rolling on. So it really depends on what a founder owner and a management team want. Yeah. I think you and, and some of the other funds who are early into the marketplace have done a, done a great job just kind of educating the entire uh, Irish business community around the benefits of private equity and how you can, I guess, maybe take some money off the table and, and, and go again. But I suppose people are also maybe a little bit wary, very sophisticated in, uh, industry. Are there, like, what are, the, what are the bits that people should be concerned about with private equity, the T's and C's that people don't, uh, don't the terms and conditions that people don't really like or, or, or don't, uh, don't want to see in the agreements? Yeah, and Dave, you're right. When, when we started investing in Ireland uh, with, with, with Carlisle back in late 2013, early 2014, um, a lot of what we had to do was to educate the market. Hmm. There was a perception out there that private equity was all about um, big funds that had done lots of property deals uh, and people didn't really understand what corporate private equity was about. Uh, and we spent the first couple of years doing things like this podcast and you know, radio interviews and TV and, 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 and presentations educating the market and frankly the advisory community uh, on, on, on what we wanted to do and how, how the model worked. Um, We've now had you know, numerous successes in the first fund and other funds of the market have done the same. So I think that understanding of private equity has really increased over that period of time. And for us, that battle of trying to explain what private equity does is kind of over and that's great. There is, as you say, lots of T's and C's around a private equity investment. 
what you'd normally have is a what's called a sale and purchase agreement, which effectively says, I will sell you the shares and I will buy the shares from you. And then you'll have what's called a shareholders agreement. And the shareholders agreement really outlines what will happen when we work together over the next five or six years. Uh, and it's important that anyone who's entering into an agreement like that gets proper advice, both financial and legal advice, and everyone that we deal with would do that. But really, David, what I'd say to you is that we're entering into a long-term partnership with management and with founders. And the last thing that we want to be doing is pulling the shareholders agreement out of the, out of the drawer. Mm. And frankly, because we're not managers and we're absolutely reliant on management teams to run the business, if we're doing that, we're finished. Uh, so, you know, we work very closely with our teams. Uh, we align ourselves around a plan, as I said. Things do go wrong and you have a grown-up conversation uh, and you try and fix it. Uh, and that's what we do. And, you know, we are only focused on the Irish market. We have one reputation. We've built that very carefully over the last decade. Uh, and we want to be good partners. And we've got 14 management teams around the countries who vouch for that. Mm. And that's really powerful for us. Uh, so we really work hard to make sure that we work through the issues as they arise in a fair way with our management teams and founders. Yeah, it's interesting for, for, I, I tend to agree with that sentiment. For all the time that's spent negotiating these agreements, uh, they very, very, thankfully very rarely get called, uh, pulled out and, and used. And ultimately, kind of chemistry in the right partnership is, is, the, is, is the core arbitrary of, of how David, it's, it's absolutely the most important thing. Dealing with people that you like and respect uh, in a respectful way and building that relationship. We spend you know, months doing due diligence and a lot of that is on the company and the financials and the legals and the customers, but at least half of it is on the people. Do we like the people? Do we think they're honest? Do we think they're good at their job? And do we think they're going to be good partners? And if we can't answer yes to all those questions, we won't be making the investment. But stuff does happen, right, David? Yeah. And that, that, yeah. that, that's absolutely true. Not every deal is perfect. And I would say every deal has a bump. Uh, and the way I say we distinguish ourselves is how we deal with those bumps. And thankfully, as I said, so far, you know, we've managed to maintain really strong relations with all the teams that we've dealt with. Yeah, thanks, Peter. It's a, we're in an interesting time at the moment. Are, how are you seeing you know, deal flow, what's your, what's your thoughts on the M&A environment? Yeah, I, I think there, there, there was a big, uh, I, I'd say, dip in deal flow in the beginning of that COVID period around kind of second quarter of 2020. Mm. Uh, that rebounded strongly in the latter half of 2020. And then 2021 was a record year. Um, 2022 is a little quieter. I think a lot of deals have, have, have now been done. But certainly from our perspective, having done two deals this year already and looking at our pipeline, uh, there's plenty for us to be doing. So we still feel very positive about the M&A environment. Clearly, there's external factors at play and you know there, there, there's macro factors around Ireland's growth and um, inflation and all those aspects that we consider in every deal that we do. But frankly, we're micro investors right. uh, and we look at, is it a good business? Does it have good economic characteristics? Is there a good team? And is there a plan which we think can get us to double and triple the size of the business? And if we believe in that, the macro factors are sort of external and we're backing our teams to be able to manage them. So still very much open for business, looking to do deals? Very much open for business. As you said, we want to do 10 to 12 deals. We've done three. So we want to do another eight or nine in the next three or four years. Yeah, okay. No, great, great. Peter, we've known each other uh, a long time. For the benefit of our listeners, what, what brought you to the point of, of founding Melier? Can you maybe give us, a, give us a sense of your career to date and what, what you did before, before your Irish investments? 
Yeah, so David, I've been um, now working for over 25 years in a, in a broad, broad set of areas, um, all of which I think added up to allow me to, 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 to build the toolkit uh, to really uh, build then a, a career in private equity. So started off in, in, in Trinity in Dublin, uh, joined KPMG, uh, ended up in corporate finance there. So really started my, my deal knowledge uh, back in KPMG, back in the late 1990s. Uh, went to London, I worked in leverage finance, so lending to private equity deals. Uh, I then joined McKinsey, uh, so traveled the world dealing with some of the biggest global firms on lots of different problems and learning from really, really wonderful people in McKinsey. Uh, I was fortunate enough then that a, a, a colleague of mine in McKinsey uh, was working for Goldman Sachs in their private equity group uh, and asked me did I want to join there. So I joined there in 2007, uh, spent seven or eight years there uh, working on some really, really interesting private equity transactions. Uh, and then I got a call in late 2013 from Carlisle saying, listen, we've raised money for an Irish fund. We're looking for a couple of Irish people with you know, deep international private equity experience to come back and run that fund for us. And Johnny and I both came back to, to Ireland in, in early 2014 to start investing in that fund. So it's kind of a, a bit of a, a, checkered, a checkered history, uh, but lots of different elements uh, building up to, to what they say, what, 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 what we're doing today. Uh, I spent then six or seven years with Carlisle, uh, and I explained the opportunity then to launch Melier uh, in early 2020. And the move to running your own business, your own fund, as opposed to being effectively the Irish office of an international fund, what, what was the driver behind that? I guess it was belief in the market opportunity, David. Johnny and I firmly believed that we'd done all the hard yards from 2013-14 in building a knowledge of what private equity was. We'd built a great track record. We'd managed to build a great team. Uh, and we saw the future opportunity for private equity in Ireland. So it seemed obvious to us. Now, the, the entrepreneurial journey of actually starting your own business and all that goes with that um, is, is a challenge. Yeah. Uh, and myself and Johnny, I think, have learned more over the last three years than we've probably ever done in our career, and we're always learning. Uh, and I think the, the great thing now is that, you know, we have 160 million euros of a fund. We've got a team of 10 people. We've done three deals. The track record of the old fund continues to be very strong. Uh, so we feel like we're in a very good place now. You've 20 odd years in, 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 a, in a deal environment or, or, or potentially a little bit more. You've seen a huge number of deals. What are the, before we, before we wrap up here, what, what are the common mistakes that people make when they, when they come to you with their business? What are, the, what are the things they could do differently to just help a deal or help maximize the Yeah, I, 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 I'd always advise owners of businesses to do three things before they 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 even think about coming to us uh, and one is think long and hard about what they want so do they want to take all their money off the table do they want to uh, combine with an institutional partner like ourselves what is their ambition for the next five to ten years and people need to have those hard conversations with their partners with their family with their friends to really work that out I'd say the second thing is prepare. So look at your business, fix the things, the obvious things that can be fixed. Look at your team, make sure you have a strong team around you and make those hard decisions around your team. And then the third thing is hire a good advisor. We, we have this nirvana in private equity of the proprietary deal. 
But in my experience over 25 years of doing this, proprietary deals are very, very difficult to get done. And deals are difficult, diligence is difficult, and you need an advisor as a business owner to help you get to the right place. And we find it very hard to do proprietary deals because they just take so long. Uh, generally, business owners are very underprepared and an advisor can really act as that conduit between us and the business owner uh, and help us get to a, a good deal for everyone at the end. I think most people who aren't involved in deals on an ongoing basis are, are amazed by the amount of work involved and how consuming it is, both time-consuming and emotionally consuming. Uh, that it's, it's, a, it's a very, very demanding process. It, it is, David. Listen, this is often the biggest decision, the biggest deal someone will ever do in their life. Mm. And if you've invested 15, 20, 25 years in your company, you want to make sure you're getting good value for the business, first of all. But most importantly for many founder owners is that they're finding a good home for the baby that they've, they've grown over time. Yeah. Uh, and it really is an emotional roller coaster. And I, I think the other thing that people don't understand is that as an institutional investor, there's just certain things that we have to do in our due diligence. Uh, and every institutional investor will be the same. Uh, and it is hard work and it does take time, but we try and do it in a measured way, in a commercial way, and really focus on the big points. But as we're doing it, really importantly for us, and a lot of management teams feed this back to us, when we do our due diligence, it's actually value additive to the company. Hmm. So as we're building the plan, we're saying, you know what, we've found out that there's three things that you don't do very well, or there's three things that you do really well, and we need to do more of them. Uh, so we try and make our diligence valuable to the team. Uh, we, we show them all the diligence that we get done during the process, uh, and then we use that to, to really build a strategy for the next five years. Makes a lot of sense. And are, are there common items coming out of diligence that stop you doing deals that, had they been dealt with beforehand, might have led to an easier deal process? I, I, I think there's, there, there, there's always things in deals that come up, David, and our job is to try and box them off and risk mitigate them. So things like, you know, the market, you know, we should know before we go exclusive on a deal whether we like the market or not. Yeah. Uh, things like the financial position of the business. Clearly, if a, if a business owner has presented a set of financials that end up not being accurate, <clears throat> that can be an issue for us. And that's why I'd say get a good advisor who will uh, tire kick the projections and the, and the historics that you put in front of us. Um, there's always a legal issue with a contract or a customer or something, but generally they're manageable, David. But no, every deal has its own particular issues. Our job is to find a way, if we like the team and we like the business, to be able to execute on the deal and, and mitigate those risks. And we work very hard to, to do that. Peter, can you, can you tell me about your favourite deal? Uh, Dave, that's a very difficult question. Um, lots of, lots of favourites uh, uh, over the last, over the last uh, 15 years or so. Um, to be honest with you, um, I've enjoyed all the deals that I've been involved in. There's been different challenges uh, along the way in some of them, but I've learned so much from every different situation. Um, in terms of favorites, don't, don't really have one. Ones that spring to mind. Um, I, I was fortunate enough uh, when I was with Goldman Sachs uh, to um, get to know Donald Slattery. Right. Uh, and when, when Donald was uh, raising capital for Avalon initially, he'd, he'd raised a, a almost a billion dollars from the likes of CVC and Sinvin, uh, and he had a very small gap in the, in the capital structure. Uh, and he called me up and asked, would I be interested in investing? 
So he got on the plane the next day and made a very strong pitch to me in about an hour in Goldman Sachs offices in Fleet Street in London. Uh, and I was absolutely blown away. Well, there's a deal. Yeah, He, he was clearly uh, a, a domain expert uh, and was so passionate about what he wanted to do. And I came out of the room and said, I'm, I'm absolutely convinced we should do this deal. The only caveat was that he said, you've got 10 days to do it. Wow. Uh, so I went off and managed to get it through the investment committee and, and make uh, that initial investment in Avalon. Uh, and Donald did everything that he said he'd do. And himself and his team made a tremendous success of that and generated a very strong return for us. Uh, but then it's been great for me to be able to sit back and watch what he's done over the last 10 or 12 years and grow Avalon into, I think, the second or third largest aircraft lessor in, 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 in the world. And to know that I've been a tiny, a tiny little part of, 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 of that. I think closer to, closer to, to, to home, um, something like the AA Ireland. Mm. Uh, and I, I suppose that, that, that resonates with me because, you know, number one, it was our largest deal in the first fund at over 150 million euros. Uh, and it was a very complex deal. Uh, we had to carve out the AA Ireland from the UK PLC, AA PLC in London, uh, rebuild all the product uh, systems within the business. Uh, and it was a very complicated deal to execute on. Uh, and we managed to get it done. And then Brendan Nevin and the team there did a really excellent job of transforming that business over our period of ownership. And it turned out to be a very successful deal for our investors as well. And then really, I, I guess with, with, with Melier now as well, you know, having done three investments and, and myself having been involved in two of those, you know, really thrilled with what we've done there with BHP on the insurance side and Rose Confectionery uh, on, on the confectionery side and really excited about the prospects for those investments. Yeah. And the AA is interesting because it was another private equity fund who bought it off, who bought it off you. Is, is that a common feature? Is that, you know, is, is that something you expect to see more and more? Yeah, in Ireland, tr traditionally, because there's been a lack of private equity investment here, there hasn't been what are called secondary deals where one private equity firm will buy off a second one. I, I think you're seeing a little bit more of that now because over the last decade or so, there has been some smaller private equity deals done and, and some mid-sized private equity deals done. So I'd expect that trend uh, to be a bit more prevalent in Ireland over the coming years. Uh, albeit for us, what we're primarily focused on is what we call primary deals, where we're investing uh, as the first institutional investor alongside a founder owner or, or indeed in a corporate carve-out as it was in the AA. Maybe summing up everything you've said over the last 30 minutes or so, Peter, are there, are there reasons why companies should take on private equity? I think any business out there who has ambitions to grow and to turbocharge their growth should consider private equity. I think with private equity, as I mentioned, you get two bites of the apple, so you can take some money out today uh, and you can get hopefully a lot more money out in five or six years time. I think the second thing you get is you get a really deep experienced institutional partner that will be in your corner, uh, that will be a sounding board for you, that has done it before and can help you manage some of the issues that are just commonplace in founder owner situations. And I think thirdly, if you look at what we and others have done historically, the track record of of the funds in Ireland is very strong. Uh, and we've done, a, I, I think, a really good job in helping Irish founder owners grow their businesses over time. I think we can continue to do that. Peter Garvey from Mellier Equity Partners. You've been a fantastic guest on KPMG's Capital Ideas podcast. Thank you very much. Thank you, David.